All right. You know where we're going to turn to. Hebrews 11. Absolutely right. I have a couple announcements for us here to start. First of all, this past Wednesday, Ross and Lippincott came and did a great midweek service for us about family communication. And this upcoming Wednesday is our singles midweek service. And uh, Jim and Teresa Brown will be here from Westchester to teach the lesson. So Jim and Teresa will be here this Wednesday. It will be a single midweek. It will be a great time. Please invite your friends. It will be a, a, a great class that's being taught. Uh, again, as we announced earlier, at 12 o'clock today here in the auditorium, we will have a new Christmas class. Now, anybody can come to this, but it's just to really continue to strengthen the faith and the heart of those that are recently converted or maybe you were a while ago and you just want to learn some more. That is totally fine. So this is very much open to anybody. Uh, but speaking of people added to the kingdom, I want to announce today the restoration of a sister, and that is Ingrid Sanchez. Ingrid, you want to stand up for a minute? Right here toward the front. Amen. It's great to have you back in here. Also, next Sunday, the 25th, we're going to have a meeting for anyone that is interested in transferring or moving into the Bronx region. Uh, we will meet at 12 o'clock here in the auditorium. So that's next Sunday. So if you are a mission team leader, I would like for you to come as well. And anyone that wants to transfer or move in, we will have a discussion. Let's be understand it. We want to help people have a smooth transition and so that no one's falling through the cracks. We're meeting the needs of the people as they come into the Bronx. Amen. Uh, also, there's an announcement. We're having a mother-son bowling night. So this is all about bringing families together. Now, listen to what you get with this. From 2 to 4, is going to be bowling. April 14th. So you got a while. April 14th. But for $10 a person, you get unlimited bowling, you get the shoes, you get a piece of pizza and a drink. All for just $10 per person. So, if mothers and your sons, you want to just have a couple hours of bonding time, out bowling, enjoying yourself, for just $10 per person, that is an extremely good deal. Then don't nobody try to sneak in there. Mother-son bowling night. There will be some other gentlemen in there just for protection reasons, but it is going to be a great time. Now, at the same time, if there's some single dads and there's a single sister that wants to take, you know, their son there, you can do that as well. So we just want to help build the family. We have an upcoming father-daughter dance. We have a father-son camp out. We got a lot of things we're going to do to bring our families together. So I want to encourage you with that. Again, April 14th, a mother-son bowling night is going to be a great, great time. Amen? You know how the Bible says... Uh, there came a time that they were collecting so much that the leaders just said, no more, we've had enough. Well, I'm going to announce, as far as our kids' kingdom, all the donations that have been coming in have met the need. We don't need any more contributions towards items for kids' kingdom. Amen? Now, let me make sure I'm clear. I am not talking about contributions. I'm talking about items for kids' kingdom. Amen? Now, in the month of May, we're going to have a split service, English and Spanish. English service at 10, Spanish is at 1 o'clock. But here's the thing. We need more people, Latin people, to help out with the AV system that's going on. See, we have two people right now running it. 
But in order to make this happen, we can't just sit back and say, oh, now we're going to have a service in Spanish, great. No, we need you to participate in what we're doing. So, you need to talk to uh, Felix. No, no, never mind. Felix didn't register yet for Thrive, so don't talk to Felix. We'll have you talk with Sweat. And, and that is not your real name. It's Juan. Okay. I was like, why your mama name you Sweat? But that's all right. <laughs> Tell me later. So please talk to Sweat. Stand up for a minute. I want to make sure everybody see you and know who they can talk to. Okay. So we need more help in order to make this thing go great in the month of May. So think about it, pray about it, take all the time you need, but by later today, please talk with Sweat because we need some people helping us with this. Amen? All right. That's all my announcements for today, but I have something to share with you. So uh, we have some friends in town from Kansas City, Denise and Harold Oliver. They're deacons in the church, in Kansas City Church. Stand up for a minute. And uh, they came here because... Uh, a while ago, a sister by the name of Anita Wright came to Kansas City for about a year. And uh, so we got to know her and her uh, companion at that time, uh, Wayne, uh, got to know them. But yesterday, they were married in uh, Staten Island. And so they came up for the wedding. And uh, at the wedding, I didn't really know much about Wayne. But from what I understood at the wedding, that his first wife had passed away. And uh, so he was remarried, and this is a great marriage they have, great, uh, awesome marriage. But the thing that impacted me was that his former mother-in-law of the wife that passed away stood up and shared at the reception. And she shared that this is the most godly man, the most serving man, and she is proud for Anita to marry a man such as this. And she is now giving her son to Anita as a husband. And I thought, what more of a compliment could you get from somebody's mother-in-law about who you are? But that's because his life was one of a disciple. And when you live as a disciple, it impacts so many people, and it makes a huge difference. And I just wanted to say that because I've never heard or seen that. I've been in the kingdom 27 years. And not heard anybody share from the heart like this mother-in-law shared about Wayne. And that just goes to show you that God has, and it says, and it talks about it, 1 Corinthians 12, 18. He arranges the parts of the body the way he wants them to be. And no matter who you are or no matter where you're at in life, God has that person for you to help you make it to heaven. And if you're already married, you got to see that's who God has already chosen for you to help you make it to heaven. And so it was just an encouraging thing. I want to make sure to share that with you guys. But uh, they are happily married. They're doing great. Uh, but it was just a very impacting wedding, not just to the, uh, the non-Christian family, but to the Christians as well. Uh, and it says a huge example. So let's go to God in prayer, and then I want to preach to us today. Father in heaven, thank you so much for this day. I pray that you give us wisdom, that you give us insight, that you help us to learn what we need to learn from you, and that we walk away different than the way we walked in today. We love you and thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Hebrews 11, verse 31, as we're talking about faith, it says in verse 31, By faith the prostitute Rahab, because she welcomed the spies, was not killed with those who were disobedient. The Bible talks in Hebrews 11 about Rahab and her faith. In James chapter 2, verse 23, it also talks about Rahab. And in James 2, 23, it says, And the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. And he was called God's friend. You see that a person is justified by what he does and not by faith alone. In the same way was not even Rahab the prostitute 
considered righteous for what she did when she gave lodging to the spies and sent them off in a different direction. As a body without the spirit is dead, so faith without deeds is dead. That's incredible. But also look over in Matthew chapter 1, verse 5. This is another scripture that talks about Rahab. Matthew chapter 1, verse 5. This is a genealogy of Jesus. So it talks about all the people in his, in his uh, family line. And in verse 5, it talks about Solomon. We know Solomon, great wisdom, who Solomon was. The father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab. The Bible talks about Rahab three different times. One about the uh, genealogy of Jesus. But he also talks about, in Hebrews 11, an example of her faith that stands out. But then it talks about in James, it's an example of her life that illustrates the works because of her faith. Putting, the, putting this all together, basically what it says is that she had faith, but she lived it out. It wasn't just, I have faith, and then just go about life until Jesus comes back. It was, I have faith, and I'm going to show it in my life every single day. And so here's a story of a woman who deserved nothing but judgment, punishment, but she risked her life for her deliverance and the deliverance of her family. She had faith. Her faith led to courage. Now, all these things are being said about her, but she still has some challenges. She has some problems that she had to face. I want to talk about her problems that she had to face, but then I want to look at her faith, because there's different stages that her faith went through. But the first problem she had is that she was an Amorite. She wasn't Jewish. So she was not one of God's chosen people. She had no inheritance or right by God. Basically, she was an outsider. She didn't belong to him. Her second problem was that she was a woman. Now, that being said, an old daily Jewish prayer went like this. I thank my God that I was not born a Gentile or a woman. Back then in their culture, that's how they viewed women. Basically, property. Nothing. But that's not how God viewed them, obviously. That's not how God sees That's not how any godly man should view a woman. And this is important. And I look at the women in the Bronx region, and I will put them up against not just anybody in New York, but anybody in the world. Because we have some strong, tough, beautiful, courageous women in this region. Amen? And that's what... You want to add anything to that, Lamont? You get it? And so that's what this is about. These are godly women here in the region. But this is how God views women. He doesn't look down on them. The third problem she had was her occupation. She was a prostitute. Now, I grew up thinking that only holy people, or, you know, uh, like they say down south, only godly folk, was the ones that God would use to do great things. But this is obviously not the case. When you look at this and you think, some, actually, some Bible commentaries point out that the word prostitute in Hebrew means innkeeper. So they assume that she was an innkeeper, and that's how come she welcomed people into her home. But let me tell you this. <laughs> I, I promise you, some of the commentaries say that. But the Bible says she's a prostitute. If the Bible says it, that's what it is. We don't add to it. We don't take it away from it. The Bible says that we don't argue with it. So that's what the woman was, and we just need to face reality. Some people want to water it down, but we can't water down the Bible. We have to take it for what it is. James says it, Hebrews says it, God says it, I'm saying it. The woman's a prostitute. You say, now why would God choose a prostitute? Surely there were some better upstanding characters in there in the city of Jericho. Why would he choose this woman? I believe he did it for an example because many people, even Christians today, struggle all their lives to try to overcome their past. Since we have never forgiven ourselves of certain things we've done, 
We don't believe God has truly forgiven us of certain things we've done. Perhaps some of you live with that heartache today. Even though you're a Christian, you struggle sometimes with, am I really forgiven? Or you struggle with, can I get over this and be used by God? Those thoughts come to mind. Sometimes we live with this continually. What if? What if I didn't do that? What if I had done it differently? I struggle with those thoughts here and there. I look at my bank account and I say, $47 for the last week, the next three days? What if I went on and took that pro football contract? Hmm, $47 compared to $47 million, that could be a whole lot different thing. But then I think 78% of athletes go broke within the next three years of not playing. And if I had done that, I wouldn't be married to a woman I'm married to. I wouldn't have the kids I have. I wouldn't be doing what I'm doing for a living. But we have those thoughts. And sometimes you've got to reason your way out of those thoughts. The same way Abraham reasoned that if he sacrificed his son, God would bring him back from the dead. But you see, here's the thing. Each of us, we have a little bit of rehab in all of us. Rahab. Some may need rehab, but <laughs> I was going to play it off, but forget it. Just say. But we all have a little bit of Rahab in us. None of us are exactly what we want to be for God in our lives today. We all have something we want to grow in or change in. And if you don't, you need God because you're not thinking right. But some of us have things in our past that it's hard for us to overcome. Each of us has fallen short time and again. But what we see here is that her actions prove that she had faith. The most important thing about Rahab was her faith. And so I want to talk about the types of faith that Rahab had so we ourselves can look at it and be encouraged and grow as well. Look over in Joshua chapter 2, verse 1. The book of Joshua chapter 2. What kind of faith did Rahab have? What kind of faith did she live out? I believe the first type of faith that she shows us is a courageous faith. A courageous faith. In Joshua chapter 2, verse 1, it says, Then Joshua, son of Nun, secretly sent two spies to Shittim. Go look over the land, he said, especially Jericho. So they went and entered the house of a prostitute named Rahab and stayed there. And the Bible doesn't say why Joshua did this. Now, earlier we know that Moses and his leadership uh, sent out spies into the land of Canaan to, to kind of find out what's going on out there. But we don't know if God told Joshua to do this or if he decided on his own. What we do know is that he was a great military leader. And as any military leader, you would send somebody to kind of spy out the land to find out what's going on, who our enemies are, what's ahead of us. But why Jericho? I mean, this is, it was a large city, a secure city in the land, but they had to conquer Jericho because Jericho was the gateway into Canaan. Jericho was the door that needed to open up for them to go ahead and conquer the land of Canaan. So they went and came to the house of a prostitute named Rahab. And again, the Bible doesn't say why those two spies ended up at her house. But God is solid, and he knows what he's doing. You see, a practical person, a reason the spies man ended up at Rahab's house is because she would know what's going on with the beat of the city. She knows the gossip. She knows what they're talking about. She hears what all these people are saying and coming and going. So if they're going to discover any key information, that would be a place to go to find out what's going on. But it didn't take long while they were there for the king to realize their spies there. Look in verse 2. The king of Jericho was told, look, some of the Israelites have come here today to spy out the land. So the king of Jericho sent the message to, this message to Rahab. Bring out the men who came to you and entered your house, because they have come to spy out the whole land. You know, Rahab was taking a chance on her life by protecting these spies. Most people would have thrown in the towel and gave them up real quick because they would have been scared of their, for their own life's sake. But Rahab didn't do that. She was courageous in her faith. 
Look at verse 4. But the woman had taken the two men and hidden them. She said, Yes, the men came here, but I don't know where they had come from. At dusk, when it was time for the, to close the city gate, the men left. I don't know which, they, which way they went. Go after them quickly. You may catch up with them. But she had taken them to the roof and hidden them under the stalks of flax she had laid out on the roof. So the men set out in pursuit of the spies on the road that leads to the fords of the Jordan. And as soon as the pursuers had gone, the gate was shut. You know, faith is not risky, but faith does not hesitate to take risks. Rahab not only had the spies, but she misdirected the king's men. So if her, if her life and what she did had been discovered, she would surely have been dead. But her faith in God was so real and so strong that she prepared to put her own life at risk for what she knew was right. Arthur Lloyd Jones wrote, A person's life will either demonstrate the reality or the lack of reality of their professed faith. In other words, your life will show whether you have faith or you don't have faith. Makes it clear. Now, that's what Lloyd-Jones said. But what does the Bible say? The Bible says when you have faith, it transforms your life. It says you're born again. It says for you're transformed into the likeness of Christ. It says the old is gone, the new has come. You're a new creation. The Bible says once you obtain faith, your life will not be the same. The first thing Rahab did is she showed a faithful current. This is something I want to challenge us with. I don't want us just to sit and say we have faith. And we come to church every Sunday, we come to church Wednesday, go to mission team, and it just becomes a routine that we do. Our lifestyle needs to show more than I'm a church goer. Our lifestyle needs to show my marriage is different, my parenting is different, my dating life is different, who I am is different. When things are angry at work, I respond differently. When things, everybody in school cheating, I'm going to respond differently. Our lives need to show a difference in who we are. Anybody can go to church, but can you live out church in your everyday life? And this is what she did. She lived it out. She didn't just have faith, but she backed up her faith with her life. Now, the second thing about her is that she had confident faith, confident faith. With the search party of the king on their way toward the Jordan River, she took the spies, she hit them, and she proceeded to make a profession of confident faith. Look in verse 8. Before the spies lay down for the night, she went up on the roof and said to them, I know that the Lord has given this land to you and that a great fear of you has fallen on us so that all who live in this country are melting in fear because of you. We have heard how the Lord dried up the Red Sea for you when you came, across, came out of Egypt. And what you did to Sihon and Og, the two kings of Amorites east of the Jordan, whom you completely destroyed. When we heard of it, our hearts melted and everyone's courage failed because of you. For the Lord your God is God in heaven above and on earth below. This is incredible. Now listen to what she says. We saw what your God did. We saw how you dried up the Red Sea, how you destroyed these kings, and our hearts melted in sin. Now, we'll come back to Joshua, but look in Numbers chapter 13. Because I want to compare what the spies in, Noah, in Moses' time said compared to what she said. In Numbers 13, they went to spy out the land as well. And in verse 26, this is the report they gave back to Moses. They came back to Moses and Aaron and the whole Israelite community at Kadesh in the desert of Paran. There they reported to them and the whole assembly and showed them the fruit of the land. They gave Moses this account. We went into the land to which you sent us, and it does flow with milk and honey. Here is the fruit. 
But the people who live there are powerful. And the cities are fortified and very large. We even saw the descendants of Anak there. The Amalekites live in the Negev. The Hittites, Jebusites, and Amorites live in the hill country. And the Canaanites live near the sea and along the Jordan. The Caleb silenced the people before Moses and said, We should go up and take possession of the land, for we can certainly do it. But the men who had gone up with him said, We can't attack those people. They are stronger than we are. And they are spread among the Israelites a bad report about the land they had explored. They said, The land we explored devours living, those living in it. All the people we saw there are of great size. We saw the Nephilim there, the descendants of Anak. Come from the nest. We seem like grasshoppers in our own eyes, and we look the same to them. This is amazing. Two different interpretations of what's going on there. In Moses' time, they said, oh, they are, the land is there. It's, it's true, but they are huge. They are powerful. They can destroy us. We look like grasshoppers in their eyes. And then you have this pagan woman saying, you know what? We heard about your God and what he did, and we all melted in fear. See, they came to look at the land, and 40 years later, when they came back, the people in Jericho, they were in fear for 40 years of the day God's people were going to come back. They were in fear. Now, here's Moses' people. They're, they're in fear because this is how they viewed themselves. They viewed themselves as grasshoppers compared to these great, powerful people. And because that's how they viewed themselves, they thought... That's how the enemy views them. That's how it is today, guys. You know what? If you tell your kids they're useless all their lives, they're going to grow up to think they're useless. You keep telling yourself you can't do it, you're not as good. You know what? You keep telling yourself that, you're going to believe that. See, there's a difference in faith. A courageous, confident faith has faith about God. Their faith back in Numbers was about them. This is how we look. This is how we see ourselves. So they see us the same way. we got to have eyes of confident faith that sees it the way God sees it. Not the way you and I see it, but see it the way God sees it. And see, as long as we have that faith, we can do incredible things. But when you start looking at people and seeing what people have done to you, what they could do to you, how they might look at you, that just destroys your faith. But when you think, this is what God's going to do. This is what God wants to do. There is no mountain too high, no valley too low. There is nothing you can't do because of the faith of God. Amen? We have to stop thinking that people perceive us the way we sometimes perceive ourselves. And sometimes you got to just tell yourself, you know what? I am good. I am good because of who God is. You know what? I'm not only good, I look good because of who God is. You know what? I'm not some little weak, wimpy person walking around here. If, if, if the God that created all the earth, that's the same God that opened the Red Sea, is telling you, I'm with you always to the very end of the age, you should never look at yourself as a grasshopper in somebody else's eye. Why should anyone who confessed in the trusting of the Lord ever see themselves as a grasshopper? Well, I'm the only disciple on campus. We can't do anything. Woe is me. Seriously? It only takes one to make an incredible ministry. I'm the only disciple at my work. I can't do all this. You ought to see how they are. They are so sinful. Seriously? It just takes one disciple to change anything. Well, you ought to see my marriage. I'm married to a disciple, but she don't act like it. He don't act like it. Well, how about you act like it? It only takes one person being a disciple to change all those things. See, so many times we're focused on everybody else. 
and on our situation. So then we start to become little grasshoppers in our eyes, and that's how we think everybody else sees us. God says, I didn't let my son die so you could be a little grasshopper. You know what? King Kong ain't got nothing on me. That's why he let Jesus die, so you can be bigger than King Kong, not a little grasshopper in somebody's eyes. But how do you view yourself? How do you view your marriage, your family, your neighborhood, your workplace? Do you see it the way the spies back in Moses' day saw it? Or do you see it the way this pagan woman, who was supposed to be of little character, but she had a lot of faith. And now she's honored in the Bible. You don't hear nothing about those spies or what they did wrong, but you hear a lot about Rahab. And here's the thing. God looked down and said, she is not just a prostitute. This is a woman of faith. And that's what I want in the genealogy of my son, Jesus Christ. I don't care what her background was. I know what her future. And too many of us need to stop letting our background plague us and realize the future God has for us. When Satan starts coming after you, reminding you of your past, you need to remind him of his future. You don't need to worry about the past, you need to worry about the future. You've got to understand, she had courageous faith, she had confident faith, and then thirdly, she had concerned faith. She was concerned. Look at verse 12. Now then, please swear to me by the Lord that you will show kindness to my family because I have shown kindness to you. To you. Give me a sure sign that you will spare the lives of my father and mother, my brothers and sisters, and all who belong to them. That you will save us from death. I'm back in Joshua 2. Sorry, buddy. She had a concerned faith. Not only for her well-being. Yeah, I want to be saved. But you know what? I want to help all my family be saved as well. See, sometimes we struggle with sharing our faith. Listen, when you have real faith, that's not a struggle. Because you are concerned. And the problem I think people have when they don't share their faith, they forget that they were on the road to hell. And you can be in the kingdom so long and you get so comfortable with, oh, I'm going to heaven, that you forget where you're going to go if you don't live the right life. And there's a lot of people not living the right life. And so if we're not concerned about heaven and hell, we're not concerned about it for anybody else. But you look at the people that follow Jesus. You know, when Andrew encountered Jesus, where did he do? He went to get his brother Peter. You know, when the Samaritan woman at the well encountered Jesus, what did she do? She went back and told the whole town what was going on. The demon-possessed man, Jesus cast the demons out of him. What did he do? He went to the Decapolis, the ten cities, and started telling everybody. The people that encountered Jesus couldn't keep it to themselves. They couldn't just hold it in and just wait for his coming again. They said, you know what? I got to do something. I got to talk to people. First on my list is my family. I know they may have treated me bad growing up. I'm still mad they threw away my pumpkin truck. But I want to make sure they make it to heaven. And here's the thing, some people still holding grudges against their brothers and sisters for stuff they did when they were seven or eight years old. You know what, you've got to let that go, because you want them to be in heaven with you. Now I know mentally we'll say, yeah, we do. When's the last time you shared your faith with them and invited them? See, we can say we do, but are you living we do? At that wedding yesterday, Sheridan Wright said, Wayne, do you take Anita to be your lawfully wedded wife? He said, I absolutely do. I mean, he got that big Kareem Abdul-Jabbar voice that just sprouted out there. And everybody's like, dang, I ain't never heard absolutely do. But when you want something badly, you absolutely do. You think about it. When there's something you really need, you'll find a way to find the money or the time to make it happen. Everybody that really wants to go to this Thrive concert, you're going to find the money. You're going to find a way. I know Dina wants to go. She had a concerned faith. And so she was going to do whatever it takes to make sure her family made it. And then fourthly, she had a covenant faith. Now, a covenant, that's an agreement, a binding agreement between two parties. 
And look at what she says there in verse 15. So she left them, let them down by a rope through the window, for the house she lived in was part of the city wall. I mean, Joshua 2 again. Uh, so she let them down by the rope through the window, for the house she lived in was part of the city wall. Now she had said to them, go to the hills so the pursuers will not find you. Hide yourselves there three days until they return, and then go on your way. The men said to her, this oath you made, us swear, will not be binding on us unless... When we enter the land, you have tied the scarlet cord in the window through which you let us down. And unless you have brought your family, your mother, your brothers, and all your family into your house, if anyone goes outside your house into the street, his blood will be on their own head. We will not be responsible. As for anyone who is in the house with you, his blood will be on our head if it's if a hand is laid on him. You know, she made a covenant with him. This scarlet rope that I'm letting down is a sign. It's a covenant that we have. You know, just like when the, the, the angels of death passed over, they put the blood of the lamb over the doors. It was a covenant that they had, a binding covenant they had together. You know, you and I, in our relationship with God, that's a covenant. We have a covenant relationship with God. Look in uh, chapter 6, Joshua 6, verse 24. Joshua 6, verse 24. So after they attacked the city, it says, Then they burned the whole city and everything in it. But they put the silver and the gold and the articles of bronze of and iron into the treasury of the Lord's house. But Joshua spared Rahab the prostitute with her family and all who belonged to her, because she had hid the men Joshua had sent as spies to Jericho, and she lived among the Israelites to this day. You had this woman who was a pagan woman, an Amorite woman, but yet because of her faith, not only was she saved, her family was saved, and she went from being an outsider to living among God's people. Being one that eventually was, again, in the genealogy of Jesus. I'm sure she didn't wake up that morning expecting such an incredible life in her future. But you know what? If you're visiting with us today, you need to expect something incredible. This isn't just a church. There's a lot of churches in this city. But there's something different about this. You know, when you walk in here and you see people hugging, you see people talking, you see people singing, doing all these things together, you say, this is a little different. I'm not even sure what it is, but it's a little different. You need to understand it's different because this is what God wants it to be like. And so you need to make a decision. You know what? Let me get further in this. Let me study the Bible. Let me see what they're talking about in here. And I promise you, if you do, you will have more than you ever expected or dreamed when you come into the body of Christ. She didn't know exactly what she was doing. She just wanted to be saved and help her family. But the end result was a hundred times as much she could ever dream or imagine. Now, if you are a disciple of Christ, let me tell you this. You need to get out of your head all the lies that Satan has been telling you. Because some of y'all still giving Satan the driver's license to your life. Because you're not using all the talents that God has given you. You're not using all the abilities God has given you. Some of y'all need to revoke Satan's license to drive your life. You need to make a decision. I am no longer going to let him plague me with these doubts and fears. I'm going to step up and try. That's called faith. At least let me try. I appreciate Scott. Scott's been out of singing for so long. Now he come back up here. He's trying to get back into it. He said, you know what? I'm going to at least try. I'm tired of just sitting there all the time. Let me at least try. And here's the thing. Some of y'all need to step up and try. I don't know how to do AV. Nobody did. They had to learn. You know what? Do you have a, a learner's heart? That's what a disciple is. Let me learn how to do AV. What area of the church can I serve in? This is what we do when we study the Bible people. We do the church study with them. They can understand the role of the church in their life and the role of their life in the church. 
We come to church to give. At least those people do. We don't come to church to say, give me the singing, give me the message, somebody, somebody come hug me, somebody pat me on my back, tell me how good I am. We need to come to church to give. And if that's the case, then you need to think, what area can I give in? I'm not the best singer, but I could carry some equipment like you ain't never seen before. You gotta ask them, what can I do? I, 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 I can just stand here. Well, you know what? Be security for Kids Kingdom and just stand there. There is always something for us to do if you're looking for it. But the question is, are you willing to serve? Do you really have faith or do you just have belief? Because if you have faith, your life is going to show it. If you have belief, you're just going to follow along. But what did Jesus say in John 8? To those who believe, if you hold my teachings, you're really my disciples. Then you'll know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Some people aren't set free. Satan is still have a driver's license to their life because you're not holding, living the truth. The fact is, I appreciate what Troy shared at communion. There's things you've got to overcome. There are a lot of things to overcome. When are you going to do it? How long are you going to sit by the pool? How long are you going to sit there in the chair and not engage in what we're doing? It's time to engage. We've all been hurt, people. I've gotten some stupid advice in my life. And I've given some stupid advice in my life. I've been hurt. I've hurt people. You know what? That's who we are. We people, we need to forgive each other and move on. You cannot let your past dictate your future. And if anything we learn from Rahab is our past does not determine our future. Who would ever thought a prostitute is now in the genealogy of Jesus? That shows you what God does. So my question for you is how big is your God? This is how big her God was to take her from that to being in the lineage of Jesus. That's how big her God is. And you know what? That's the same God you serve or should serve. So my question for you is how big is your God? How big do you see God? Or is he a grasshopper in your eye? It just comes down to very simple. So there's a lot of stages of faith. You may say, I'm not there yet. Well, are you even concerned? Some concerned faith. You know, we need to get confident in our faith. We need to make sure we're doing all we can in our faith. But it comes down to us living this out every single day of our lives. Brothers and sisters, I love you. There's a lot to learn in the book of Hebrews. We still got some more people to talk about when it comes to faith. But we can't just sit and listen to sermons. We've got to walk away different than how we walk in. And I want to make sure today when you walk away, you're not walking away a little grasshopper. But you're walking away bigger than King Kong. That you are realizing it's not about me, it's about who my God is, and to God be the glory. Amen.